Hello everybody and welcome to We Rebranded, the show where I speak to female business owners who have rebranded, refreshed or revived their business brands. My name is Michelle Newell, I am the founder of The Storytelling Business and I specialise in brand strategy, rebranding and brand storytelling for service-based businesses owned by women. Now today I am very excited that we have Annie Belifo joining us. She runs a business under her own name in the end of life space. But she's also very busy because she runs a site called Kinship Rituals and she has her own book, Death A Love Project. So um, we're going to invite Annie in to talk to us about the end of life space, which is really unusual. Um, I can't wait to hear about branding in the funeral industry. Um, so let me just invite Annie in now. Oh, how are you, Annie? I'm good, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Annie, I haven't said too much about you by way of introduction because I thought I would leave it to you to explain to everybody what it is that you do. <laughs> well, look, um, I'm a woman who brings a lot of personal experience to helping people to have what I hope is a transformative experience of end of life. And that may be um, somebody who's planning and thinking about how things might go. So in consultations, it might be workshops where a group of people has those questions on their mind. And they may not be people who are dying. They might just be people who are really interested in the topic or fearful you know there's a lot of reasons why people are interested to know more mm. and a lot of reasons why people don't want to know more and then I'm the author of a book um, it's called Death a Love Project so I brought that Great. and um, that obviously informs my work and I'm also a I suppose a funeral celebrant, but I am very interested in working in such a way where I'm not the person who takes a particularly leading role, the family does. Mm. So that's what I do. That's lovely because I have been to funerals before and we've all seen the movies as well with the joke reverend or priest at the front who doesn't actually know the person who's passed away and is you know, delivering this message yeah, about well, somebody they didn't know. So I love your approach of making it personalised. Well, look, I'm so glad you say that because it's certainly what brought me into this work. It was just this horror mm. that that could happen and that it could happen about someone who was so important to me. Mm. So how did you actually get into this space and start working in this space? 
Look, um, I think I always knew that I'd had such bad experiences that, and I think a lot of people who work in this industry are like that, that they mm. just kind of don't want anyone else to suffer that way. And so, yeah, that was very much my motivation, more or less from the time that I'd experienced these very traumatic events. But it was pretty clear that I didn't have the ground to do that, you know, that mm. other people's material triggered me so much. Nonetheless, you know, I trained as a celebrant and people kind of began asking me. And so I always had it as a side hustle. And mm -hmm. then I suppose, at, you know, maybe around... 10 years ago, I just thought, no, this is something I really want to do full time and that that's my thing. Mm. Would you please tell us about death cafes? Look, um, <laughs> I my situation here was a bit more stable. I have a real problem with my phone. But anyway, yeah. um, to come to this event, I actually opened up all these um, responses people had made to Death Cafe over the time I've run it. And I've mm. probably done about 30 or more Death Cafes now. It's a global social franchise that was started in the UK by a guy called John Underwood. He just saw that there was a real lack of avenues for people just to have a conversation, you know, people don't necessarily mm -hmm. want to go to a therapist or, yeah. you know, sometimes they really understand that their friends and family aren't interested to talk about it, you know. So this mm. death cafe idea is quite popular with people. And, um, yeah, I now um, co-convene it with a wonderful woman called Claire MacDonald who's just, the most superb um, co-facilitator and it's an open conversation there's no kind of idea that you're going to talk to a facilitated program literally people bring whatever they bring and it's amazing mm. people learn and from each other so it could be people at any stage of life they might not be ill or dying they might have a loved one who's dying or they might just be curious yeah. about yeah, or want to talk more about it. Or it might be after someone's died, an amazing mm -hmm. mix of age range has come. Mm -hmm. You know, people come from like 17 to 80, and sometimes they're really beautiful combinations. Like, um, I remember one where a woman came with her daughter and she had um, a terminal diagnosis and it was clear there hadn't been much conversation in the family. And there was another woman there whose mother had died. And, of course, she just was so beautiful in kind of mm -hmm. guiding them to what would be appropriate. And they just left, I think, quite relieved and they were going on a long car journey home and, I could just tell they were going to have a really good conversation together. So, yeah, wonderful things happen and crazy stuff as well. So, yeah, because some people are really obsessed about death. There's no two ways about it. It's mm. like you people who just have this thing 
And, you know, they do hundreds of hours of internet searching and they come to a death cafe with all that and you don't want that you want people's experience and you know people leave and they say things like we ran through the leaves of life there is beauty in dying Um, Mm -hmm. it was unexpected profound I'm grateful you know people just say awesome things at the end, which is so lovely to hear. It's, it's so interesting to hear you talking about this because I think about, you know, a culture like the Mexican culture where they have the Day of the Dead and death just seems to be so much more present or you're able to talk about it more during life, whereas here in Australia we are really shy away from talking about death or even thinking about it. We don't want to face it. Um, So it sounds like you're part of a movement to shift that in a very small way, obviously. Death cafes aren't mainstream yet. Yeah, that's a very small part of what I do. But, you Mm. know, don't kind of um, give people, and particularly people who don't, aren't cashed up because you're just offering it basically so um Mm. great opportunity and i think for example tomorrow i'll be doing a consultation with someone who has a um, terminal diagnosis she's someone who was a colleague in the past and you know even there where you know she's spoken to Many clinical professionals, obviously, and friends and family and so on, she still feels a need to just talk in a way that she feels that um, her family will be left with the best possible outcome. Mm. Oh, so she's thinking about them in her own I think time. I yeah. you know, people do really either not think about it and often leave a mess or think about it in terms of the legacy and what it's going to be Mm. like left behind. Mm. So you're joining us um, in this chat from your Kinship Ritual Instagram account, which I think you had as a separate sort of business entity and you've you've brought it in in the rebrand as part of Annie Belitho. Is that right? Look, it's a bit complicated because <laughs> of the side hustle, hustle that I had, you know. I always traded under my own name. Um, I mm-hmm. worked as a consultant to government and corporate and non-government and that was what I traded under. So when I started the side hustle, I started Kinship Ritual, which... Mm-hmm. I was interested in your question about um, brand in the preliminary material you sent to me, that it's much deeper than a logo and a look. Mm. So Kinship Ritual is a brand that I love because it conveys what's most important to me. That is that the time of end of life helps to build relationship and connection, kinship, whether it's within your family or your family of choice and with your community. And Mm. ritual 
is most important to me. I don't, um, you know, want to do all kinds of complicated things. I just want simple rituals that work really well that people can participate in because those two things coming together makes for a beautiful end-of-life ceremony. So, you know, there I was working as a consultant, doing funerals on the side, and um, my brand, Annie Belitha, was associated with things like um, water policy and... um, Deliberative democracy, all the things <laughs> I did. So, um, you know, it took a while for me to be able to really bring that round. And mm-hmm. um, writing my book was a big catalyst in that because, um, you know, whilst I had that thing of doing workshops and working one to one, having the book kind of created a third thing. I think three is always mm-hmm. better than two. It's like a tripod <laughs> that your camera's on, it stands. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was the catalyst for my rebrand. It was, you know, like I've got this book, I've got mm-hmm. the ceremonies and I've got the consultations and work with organisations and I wanted to bring them together under one brand, my name's very unusual and mm. I've been a monumental networker throughout my life. So, you know, if someone searches my name, that's a great outcome for me. Mm. And they're not going to get 25 of me. They're only going to get one. <laughs> and um, when I did the rebrand, the thing about look was quite important because initially when I was still consulting and I had kinship ritual, I worked largely in the sustainability field and I was very concerned about how unsustainable funerals are Mm. in everything, the environmental, the economic, and the social, it's just bad, you know, they could be so much better. So my brand colour was green because of that. But by the time I'd written my book and actually worked on my business for a number of years, I realised that pink was much better because really women take charge of funerals. And it's a much softer, more inviting colour. And that was a big part of me being able to revisualise what it is I offer. Mm. I notice you definitely feel that softer feel when you look at your current website compared to um, the past ones from 2018 and 2019 that I shared yesterday Mm. in the story where they look a bit more corporate and a bit like there's sort of a wall of text and now I just find Mm. it's really accessible as you go down the page. Mm. You get a real sense of not just what you do but sort of the essence Mm. of you and your business with that. that, Yeah, and I suppose 
that brings me to a hugely important part of the rebrand, which was actually using a professional copywriter. Mm. You know, I'd always <laughs> kind of, I don't know, just held that idea at arm's length and just thought, you know, I write, I can write my own copy, but I could mm -hmm. not write my own copy. It's That's hard. You're so close to the content and the concepts. Mm -hmm. It can be hard to see it in a yeah, yeah. neutral way. <laughs> so I had a fantastic copywriter really, really willing to read my book, like cover to cover, Oh, and wow. take in everything that was there. So when she came back to me with copy, it was like, how'd you do this? <laughs> so true to my mission and what I want to put across because I've already put it across in my book. And, of yeah. course, she had all that professional knowledge of um, what do you call those things? Um, the SEO, do you mean, for the website? Or? No, no, no. Uh, there's call to actions and oh. there's another thing. I can't yeah. remember. But yeah, anyway. It's, I know what you're saying because when somebody writes great web copy, it's it's pitching what you do but in a way, way that isn't salesy. It connects with the person on the other end of the website. Exactly. It's a real, there's a real magic in it. Yeah. So mm -hmm. honestly... You know, if I have one regret in terms of my work, it's that I published my book just before lockdown and I just had mm -hmm. so many engagements and opportunities to speak about it and they just fell away completely because a lot yeah. of the people who'd hired me didn't have the digital skills to enable that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, I'm just so grateful that I had that time to work on that rebrand with my copywriter and that she was able to present copy to me where I could start to visualise a new website and a new pitch and everything has just been so good. Mm -hmm. What's the impact of the rebrand? Has it been more about just for you, having the confidence and knowing that you've got something that really represents what you do or have you found you've got additional people contacting you now? Look, um, I haven't talked much about the funeral industry itself and how mm -hmm. brand works there, but it's extremely difficult to get SEO working for you as a small operator. It's, yeah. you know, they put out incredibly aggressive sponsored marketing and um, the search terms people use for um, this kind of thing are pretty limited. So it's quite hard to find search terms that people would actually use to bring them to your site. So mm -hmm. I don't know how um, I blog to try and improve that situation and yeah. it's really hard to know. But, if, for example, if I run a death cafe and then people go and look at my site, I think they'll get more out of it and, you know, I might, 10 years time, I might get a conversion out of it. Yeah. Um, but... 
it has been great for me to have that um, sense of that sight behind me because I suppose in many ways my sight, my Instagram accounts, my LinkedIn, in a way they're kind of placeholders as much as anything that most of my work comes to me by referral and if someone hears about me and they go to check my site and what they see is pleasing, that's mm. really good. Yeah, that's a really good point because there are a lot of businesses that do rely on word of mouth like yours or that mm. are built up around relationships so it makes sense that somebody hears something from someone else but then you mm. want that website to be the... I guess the proof point that yes, she does do what she says she does, and I, yeah. you know, it's just mm -hmm. another reinforcement that um, that yeah, you might be the person that they want to work yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me a bit about the like branding in the funeral industry in general? Is there yeah. those big players? That that's interesting. What you say about how they they've sort of cornered the market already, and they've got the budgets to do the advertising mm. but is mm. there sort of a look and a feel and a an approach that they use that's typical look um i suppose the thing that's probably most significant is that they control such a high percentage of the market so invercare mm. the main player in singapore australia new zealand controls upward of 30 percent of the market and mm. They are very, very clever about um, differentiated marketing. So people think they're going to different places, but mm. it's all So, for example, yeah. Simplicity, White Lady, oh, Lapines, yep. and many um, family-named businesses are actually Invocare companies. So... Um, that in itself is a really big factor. And, you know, when I first started, it was very much doves and roses. But mm -hmm. over time, I think even they've recognised that that's sort of a little bit dated. And, you know, I think the emphasis is very much on customer service, convenience. All um, funerals are marketed as packages. So, I, you know, you get something and it's convenient. And I think another thing that you'll see a lot is this idea about the family and helping the family. Mm. And for me, family is a very contested idea you know there are lots of people who have a chosen family rather than um a nuclear yes family um people don't necessarily have great relationships with their family i found that in doing my rebrand it was very hard not to come back to that word as a way of talking to an audience but i mm. actually don't like it very much so that's tricky um but you know i think the other thing that they didn't do much in the past was what they call pre post and present services so they've gone into 
planning, they've gone into grief um, management. And oh. yeah, so they've got quite a suite of yeah. things which are all marketed as, you know, solving an immediate problem where I suppose I'm much more marketing towards um, taking time and that taking time will take care of all those things. If you're prepared mm. to take a bit of time before, if you're prepared to take time during and after, you can have a very beautiful and transformational experience. Mm. It sounds much more holistic in terms of what you do, not holistic spiritually as well rather than... Mm rushing it and having the, t the checkbox mm. tick list of this is what you must do for a funeral. Mm. Mm. And I think um, that kind of idea of taking time, when you talk about Mexicans and mm. Africans and Japanese, you know, they take time. That's why they have a great experience. It's not because yeah. they've got a better culture or something. It's just that for them... Death is a very, very significant time and it's one that has a massive impact on people mm. who are alive and so they give it time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I think this is the most interesting conversation we've had so far on We Rebranded. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it because it isn't a topic that we talk about a lot. And I suppose there's one thing I wanted to say in relation to brand that um, I do see as a point of difference for me. I began um, doing kinship ritual at a time when co-design was really big in um all sorts of business, you know, this idea that mm. you did stuff jointly. And so, yeah, that's really influenced me that I set out to have a co-design process. And one of the things... Oh, sorry, so by co-design you mean you are designing the process with the other people who, who are your clients. Mm. You're not, it's not just a done mm. to you where you say, this is the package, let's do it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think one of the big things that results from that that I notice in the funerals that I run is that, and the same goes for workshops as well, that out of that process um, you get something that isn't perfect. And if you go to funeral by any of the big brand names that is the number one priority that it should be perfect everything mm. going clockwork and to me it's actually human to make mistakes you know that's why the start of this instagram live was so great <laughs> it, it did go smoothly there were issues you know <laughs> happen it's part of being human that's my model you know it's like yeah. it's okay and 
Yeah, the last funeral I did, I was just so awed by the fact that the parents and the uncles and aunts trusted a 12-year-old child to play a major part in this co-design process. Oh, that's and, you beautiful. Know, a 12-year-old isn't going to know what to do. Yeah. And I said that to the parents. I said, look, none of us know what to do around death. We're all children. We yeah. have so little experience of it in our culture. That's fine. Let's just do it that way, you know, with more of a naivety, more of an ingenuousness rather than this idea that to honour someone, the best thing we can do is to create something that is so perfect that it's really rigid. Mm. And perhaps not real. Mm. Rigid and not real. Mm. What What's the impact of on people when you take them through that process and when you have, say, a co-designed funeral? funeral do you think they are processing the experience better? Do they get more out of it? What's... Why do this co-design process? Oh, look, um, you know, I think funerals offered by the brand companies are fine for heaps of people, you know. That's mm -hmm. a great funeral and it's quite okay. It's just that I think people who are attracted to my brand are people who recognise the importance of death. And for them, I think, yeah, they do have an opportunity to um, transform something mm -hmm. within themselves as they honour the person that's quite comfortable rather than, you know, maybe stretched a little bit tight. Mm. Annie, I can't believe this, but we've been speaking for half an hour. Um, <laughs> you did say, don't get me started on branding in the funeral industry. <laughs> um, so just to wrap up, could you tell us a little more about your book? Because that sounds like it might be a good starting point if people are interested in an alternative view of this space. Thank you, Michelle. Look, um, it's called Death, a Love Project. And... That title is intended to put across that it's a very emotional time, but it's also a very practical time, end of life, and that if you can just give a little bit of thought to the practical things before there's a crisis or you suddenly have to know, mm. it makes the emotional side so much easier. So that's the intent in the title. And um, it literally runs through all the things that are important to know from um, what ritual is when it works, um, how you organise a funeral, how you perhaps if you want to have a vigil, how you do that. You know, burial or cremation, mm. coffins or shrouds. Because of my interest in sustainability, there's a bit in there about um, 
having a less environmentally impactful funeral. And yeah, most people who read it just really enjoy it and are quite surprised. (laughs) You know, like people used to say to me when I first published it, you know, I read it on the plane back to Brisbane. You know, now people say, oh, I read it in the afternoon and, Mm. yeah, I was surprised it was really easy to read. So, um, of course, um, having this wonderful opportunity to talk with you, I have um, put a promo offer on the book. It's available on my website and Mm -hmm. you just have to put pause in the promo thing. Because that's what I believe in, pausing. Pause. Wonderful. I hope my parents won't be offended, but I think I might buy them a copy for Christmas. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I've got such nice gift wrapping at yeah. the moment. Although my, my dad is actually a reverend with the Uniting Church, so he's got his very clear take on what a funeral is. Um, oh, but I think great. you'd have a great conversation with him because he he very much gets to know the family and you know, tries to personalise mm. the message at the funeral. and But I'm still going to yeah, buy it. people who have mm-hmm. a tradition that has great people like your dad are so fortunate, mm-hmm. you know. It's the people who have no tradition who really yeah. need um, a lot of input. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, we will wrap up our talk now, but I'm going to write a blurb to accompany this as a post on Instagram, um, and I'll mention the code pause there for the book and then next week our show will uh, be released as a podcast as well so I really hope we can reach a new audience who haven't been thinking about death but can think about it in a safe relaxed and productive way or maybe not productive because we don't be productive what do we want to be what are are some of your values words we want to know we are all different. We're totally unique. This is a universal experience, but we need to relate to it because we are unique. Mm. That's a beautiful note to end on. Thanks so Thank much, you. Michelle. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Annie. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.